Welcome to the Guidelines Podcast. The following is a conversation with Justin Evans, the Principal Experience and Digital Product Designer of 227. This episode is all about Agile and how it relates to the human-centered design approach. Enjoy. For Guidelines, we usually start off with an introduction. Uh, People will know you as the Head of Experience and Digital Product Design at 227. However, I'd like to let you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about who you are, um, tell us a bit about 227 as a product and also the role that you perform as Head of Experience and Digital Product Design. All right, cool. Yeah, so the name is Justin Evans. I am a digital product designer and strategist. Just a little bit about myself before I jump into the role of what I do at 227 is that I started my career as an interior architect. So I'm an architect by trade. And then I moved into, well, that's where I kind of designed 3D experiences. So, you know, I've designed retail spaces, designed exhibition spaces, recreational spaces, which actually tells me that, well, at least it taught me on how that a space or an experience is really, really important. And it taught me very, very early on to validate kind of with people and to see if this is actually a space that people feel a certain emotion towards. So whether it's happiness, there's a, there's a goal in mind. So when they're coming to a space, they know exactly what to do. Is it a space where they need to browse around and spend time in the place? And then I moved into the digital space. So I moved into kind of the graphic design space and branding design. And then I went into website design. And then I slowly got introduced to human-centric design. At the time, it wasn't called user experience. It was called human inter- or human computer interaction. I think the essence of it where we're actually using the people or having a customer in mind when putting together a solution and i've been doing this for probably roughly 12 years so it's been i've been around for the in the industry for a while and then yeah and just kind of learned different techniques different methodologies different ways of working and i found a really big passion for agile design sprints lean startup approaches and everything like that because it's just something that i want to try and get the solution to the customer as soon as possible and make it market fit this was a really nice transition of going somewhere which is you do a lot of thinking and a lot of preparation to something that to an experimental phase where it's okay to solve one problem at a time rather than trying to solve massive amounts of problems at the same time and then just dishing it out to the customer. 20 to 7, I, I hit up the kind of the competency of the product design space where I am a leader and a coach to the team. I also hold responsibility to the design system, to the methodology, the UX approach, the UI approach, all of that kind of stuff, which is very fluid and kind of get my hands dirty. I am also a solution creator. So I also go and get my hands dirty and create products and design solutions for our customers. So I do have a lot of different responsibilities in 20 to 7, which is really, really exciting, really, really challenging and a lot of fun, lots of failing, but that's kind of the point of it. The kind of product that we kind of build is that we are a financial services app. So 20 to 7 is a money management service that you can access via the app or a website. You can download it on iOS and Android, or you can visit www.20to7.com. And the purpose of it is that we want to try and help South Africans make better financial decisions. And the features that we have to help you achieve those kind of goals is that you're able to see all your financials in one place. So you can link all your different financial service providers in in the app. It's 100% secure. We do use bank grade security. So your information is read only. The information you see is yours only. You're able to set budgets and set some spending challenges for yourself. And you get personalized insights based on your spending behavior. So you can kind of see how you're spending on certain categories and make certain actions from that point. But yeah, in a nutshell, that's Justin Evans, Head of Product Design at 20
very interesting to see how you went from working in physical experience design to working in digital experience design. How did you find that initial transition? You're thinking in a 3D space, so you kind of have to kind of see how this journey works. I think the difference in the 2D space is that you kind of don't have the same approach. It's like it's it's weird. It's like so when you're when you're an interior designer or anything like that, you can you, you can't plan quickly. So you can't do something like, okay, I'm going to do and you know, a lounge type of thing, and then you take like it takes two weeks for something to arrive and you're hoping that things will happen. And you kind of do a little bit of experimentation. We have mood boards. You can kind of somewhat simulate the experience. But what is nice about the digital space is that you can give something tangible to the customer in their hands very, very quickly. And that's where the kind of where I got a little bit lost because I got taught a certain way. And then when I moved into the digital space, it was much easier because that means I got feedback quicker. So when I did let's just say from a digital design perspective, I'm doing a cover design for Facebook or a Facebook page. You're able to send the actual end product almost immediately and getting feedback right away. Whereas if I did interior design or something like that, I had to sketch it out, kind of simulate the experience, do a mood board, take that, and it takes time to do, whereas this way it was much quicker to get. Um, and I enjoyed that. I really loved the fact that I can go into a kind of digital space, design a website, able to kind of start getting feedback very, very quickly. And that's how I kind of learned to get this passion for this kind of a lean approach or kind of getting feedback as soon as possible in the digital space. So today we're going to be speaking about Agile. Agile is something that I've heard about ever since I came into the world of design. It's something that I've often seen as being merged with the world of UX. Sometimes it's described as being something that UX fits under and other times I hear it as something that, that uh, it fits under UX. It's uh, there's, there's companies that are doing Agile, other companies that are doing Agile but are doing something entirely differently. If I had to look at my understanding of Agile prior to doing some of the research that I did before this interview, it was a bit all over the place. Personally, I haven't worked in an Agile environment, but it's really great to have you on the show today to educate us a bit about it. I understand that you've done some quite a bit of training outside of your role in terms of upskilling, in terms of Agile development. And you also have had the practical implementation of uh, running it within your company. Could you please save me <laughs> and explain to me what Agile actually is? Quite simply, I like to call Agile a movement more than it is a methodology or a process. It is a movement. It's an iterative approach to delivering solutions to customers quickly. Um, so it's taking complex solutions or complex processes simplifying it and focusing on getting it to the customer as soon as possible. Um, so it's like, I kind of think of it as like, you kind of have to think of it as almost like it's somewhat a religion. So you know, it's there. It's like, I don't want to say it's in a, in a religious way, but the thing is, it's what it is, is that it's, it's kind of a way of thinking. It's a thought process. It's kind of a being. So it's like who you are. It's like what you do, what you think. It's the art of collaboration, art of self-organizing, and it's an art of cross-function. Would you say that Agile is, it can be ingrained within a company's culture? Yes. So it, it, Agile in itself is very culture-driven. So it's, it helps you to be open with your, with your customers. The Agile's got these four or five values that are very, very important, which is the word force. So the best way to, to kind of remember the values of Agile is force. First one is focus. It helps you to realize that you need to focus on the task at hand, focus on what you need to do, focus on the problem that you're trying to solve. Openness, being open to feedback, open to give feedback, open to be okay with change, open to 
do something different. So it's really, really awesome. R is respect, respect for each other. So you respect the role, you respect each other's role, you respect the process, or you respect the product. C is commitment. You know, you have to commit, you have to have a 100% commitment from the team to deliver this particular solution at hand or whatever the pain problem or the pain point that you're trying to solve. And E is extreme courage. It's not every day that, it's not easy to go the agile route. It does take a lot of courage. It's courage to give feedback. It's courage to do change. It's courage to try something new. It's courage to receive things. So it's, it's courage to receive maybe good or bad feedback. So it's a way, it's kind of changes the way people interact with each other. And the purpose of it is, yes, it's supposed to help with development software, or so, sorry, software development, but it's also helping others to achieve it as well. So it's helping each other. It's being very, very respectful. It's very much focused on the team and it's very humanized. So it's more about the human Okay, so it's not just a system. No, it, and that's where I think where a lot of people misunderstand Agile with the frameworks. So you get the frameworks, which is Scrum. You've got something called Scale. Uh, you've got the, one of the newer ones, which I like a lot, is called the Crystal Method. Um, you've got Kanban as well. You've got all these kind of frameworks to help you achieve the software development process. So those are a series of ceremonies and just kind of processes this is where it becomes a bit of a process driven approach but it's not well, not really a process driven approach it's just more of just to help you achieve the agile state of mind um so there's a difference between the two just because you're running some of the ceremonies in scrum or kanban doesn't necessarily mean you're agile so it just means you're running those ceremonies that's pretty much it okay so agile is basically a, a way of approaching product development for teams it's a cultural understanding of how you're going to work together and at every step of the process. And then there'll be methods within that. And you're saying that things like Scrum and Kanban are methods that agile, that can be used as a part of an agile process. Well, yes, it's kind of, it'll help you achieve just to kind of put everything together. You don't even need the frameworks. That's the thing. It's like the frameworks are just there just to kind of con kind of contextualize everything in so if you just you have your daily scrum or daily stand-ups just to help you kind of check if there are any problems or any impediments that needs to be solved or there's blockers that you have you have a planning session because you know everyone's even though i mean i'll take you through the manifesto in a moment but you know everyone wants to know what they're solving for what are they what are they busy building for you know so you have these ceremonies just to kind of give you a little bit more of a picture. You know, it also increases a little bit of collaboration as well, because, you know, in the world of, you know, in this, you know, Corona situation is that, you know, remote working, these ceremonies are becoming more and more important to actually have. So having your daily stand up or having your daily scrum is really, really important now, because those are the only times that you're probably going to interact with your, or with your teammates almost face to face. Um, is Agile new? No, it's been around for a couple of years. Um, well, for a good couple of years. Um, it's it's kind of, and I think the reason why it's becoming new is because it's becoming more accessible to everyone. Um, I think there is, it was quite a, a kind of a controversial approach. But even back in the day, it's like I'm, I'm talking about six, seven, eight years ago when I was doing kind of some UX work for corporates, agile was a swear word, you know? So it's only really now that agile is starting to, people are starting to realize the benefits of agile. So it's becoming more and more adopted every single day. So large corporates are adopting it more. Smaller standups, especially, they are the good examples of what agile can be because it works really, really well because they work in small teams. And 
we're getting more and more familiar with it. So more and more people are learning about it. It's becoming quite like quite a staple now when it comes to software development that people want to run agile and it's just becoming more and more familiar. Okay, cool. Something that you mentioned when you were describing what agile is, you mentioned something called the agile manifesto. From what I understand that came out in 2001. Do modern agile processes still abide by that original 2001 agile manifesto or has it evolved over time? So pretty much it stayed the same. So there are four kind of values that the manifesto has. And it's um, and there's only one change that happens since 2001. So you got individuals and interactions over processes and tools. You got working software over comprehensive documentation. And that's the one that has been amended to working product over comprehensive documentation. So that's the only thing that has been amended is the word software and has changed to now the word product. You've got customer collaboration over contract negotiation and responding to change over a or over following a plan. So the problem with what a lot of people have thought about agile is that okay, let I mean let's use uh, kind of individuals and interactions over processes and tools. It's, everyone assuming is like so that means we mustn't have processes and tools. And the manifesto is not saying that you mustn't have processes or tools. It just means that we value individuals and interactions over processes and tools. So it's just that when you're taking the two in comparison, just you value the one a little bit more than the other. So you can have your processes, you can have your tools, you can have your documentation. It's just that it's all about the individual and the customer and the team over those kind of tedious documents that we tend to use to create back in the day. So we've just, you've just unpacked a bit of individuals and interactions and processes. Uh, could you expand a bit on the other one? So you said working software slash working product over comprehensive documentation. So working product over comprehensive documentation, you know, back in the day, we used to go through this process and where we used to do a lot of documents. So we had a business requirement spec or we have other, you know, other kind of requirement docs. We have meticulous work, you know, uh, interactive prototyping, all of that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, it's all about making sure we get the product and a working product to the hands of the customer. So the focus is making sure that our value and our energies is making sure that we kind of send the product to the customer rather than focusing all our attention on these comprehensive documentation. So we want to try and make sure that the, the product is in the hands of the customer as soon as possible. The other one is customer collaboration over contract negotiation. This is twofold. So this is one is where you know, we all have opinions and we all have kind of our own ways of doing things. So this kind of value talks about, you know what, let's see what the customer really wants. And you're making decisions based on customer feedback and what the customer needs over what I need or what I want. So that's what it happens. And it's also, it's about being respectful of each other and each other's roles in the team. So it's about making sure that you as the individual in, and me as the individual, we're working well together rather than trying to be this, you know, this tension or this opposing, I'm not here to get, you know, take over your job or anything like that. We're here to make sure that the product is going out to the customer and we, this is for the good for the customer rather than just what's good for myself. And then finally, this is a big one, is that is responding to change over following a plan. Um, I think it's just about, it's okay when something pivots, it's okay when something doesn't work out, and then we kind of need to change our direction a little bit. You know, we have a North Star, and I've always said either a North Star or a flag in the sand, you've got a direction where you want to go, how you get there, couldn't take many different routes. So the idea is, is that it's okay if you're going in one direction, something happens, and then you have to deviate to another direction. So you 
then move to the right, left, or whatever you need to do, but you're still going towards that North Star. So it's just about making sure that when something happens, and that's why rapid and trying not to put too much effort into something because something could change is doesn't feel like you've spent all this time and you've got nothing out of it. So responding to change to me is a big one in Agile. And that's one of the ones that I always kind of aspire to is that it's okay for change. Okay, cool. I think one of the things that's been blowing my mind recently is you'll look at something like Agile, you look at something like the, the human-centered process of understanding context, specifying user requirements, producing design solutions, and evaluating those designs. These things seem like common sense. It seems like it would be out of the realm of reality that you would focus too much on documentation and then end up having the product come secondary to that. It, it seems that stupid that you wouldn't collaborate with your customers to try and understand the best solution. It, I mean, individuals and interactions have been the focus, of, of course, like that's how the best products come together. Um, how did teams work prior to this approach? So we, okay, so it's obviously been coined now, obviously, when once the Agile came about and all that kind of stuff, we ran something called a waterfall approach. And this was an approach that was a, quite a comfortable approach. And then it is kind of, it's like, I like to think of it as a cascading approach where you're doing a lot of work and you're doing everything you can and then throwing it to the next level. So back in the day, we would run through almost a step-by-step -step process where we first start off with a requirement, sometimes even strategy. So you start off with strategy and then you go into a requirements phase or kind of a requirement gathering phase. And this is where you get in, you know, analysts involved. Sometimes you can get a UX designers involved and they do absolutely everything in there. So they do all the requirements, they do task flows, they do systems analysis, they do a lot of these kind of technology analysis, all of that kind of stuff. And it goes through an iteration in there. So it goes back to the business, they iterate back again, lots of meetings and everything like that. There's version one to 10.3.5.7. Then once that has been signed off and everyone is happy with the requirements, you then throw it over to the next stage, which is design. So then that means the designer or whoever's tasked to put together the solution reads through that document and unpacks it and puts together this very comprehensive solution where it could be a low fidelity wireframe, could be high fidelities, it could be designs, whatever it is, but it's incredibly comprehensive. And again, goes through the same process. You kind of go, you meet with the business and all of that kind of stuff. And this is where we hit the first snag is that if there is any changes now to the requirements and now needs to be thrown back to the requirements, they need to go through their process of now iterating, improving and all that kind of stuff and throw it back over the design side. So, and it kind of filters that down. So from design, once it's signed off, then it passes over to the development side, they develop it, then it goes into QA, they find a bug. And now they realize that they can't do the solution. So then it has to go all the way back to requirements, go through the process, and you kind of still keep with this continuing of all this cascading effect until you get to the release. The challenge with that is like, it's not that it's a wrong approach. The problem is, is that you will get... It may take six months, years, even to kind of release a product to the customer. And the problem with that is that by the time you started, you started with a pain point. By the time you release it to the customer, the customer's needs have changed. You know, they've evolved, they moved on and everything like that. So the solution that you've created prior to development may have been fantastic and purpose fit at that point. But by the time you've developed it and released it, it's no longer fit for purpose. So that's where the challenge comes in with the waterfall. And before Agile, that was the norm. And that was what everyone did. And it was kind of just like, okay, it's a bit of a tennis game and just kind of throwing the ball over the net several times until you got it right. 
Sure. Okay. I mean, it's, a, it's an obvious improvement over waterfall. I can imagine someone who, who maybe was new to the world of agile and maybe wasn't so sure about it. I can imagine that they would point at agile and say, okay, like when things are handed off from one, uh, one stakeholder to the next within a waterfall model, you know that there's been a lot of thorough work with all of the quick handoffs that happen within agile, surely quality must suffer. Have you found that that's the case? So yeah, this is where you kind of have to balance this. This is there's no rocket science to see how this will work and whether or not this is the right approach. So this is why it's all dependent on how much of a solution you want to build. I think the thing with agile is that you're trying to solve every problem at the same time, and in agile you're trying to solve one at a time. So if quality is suffering, then that means there is something in the process that needs to be amended or something. Maybe there needs to be a design system in place to help with the quality, which so you kind of go through a little bit of the teething issues when it comes to agile. So, yes, quality can suffer, but it can also not suffer. You know, it's all dependent on the collaboration and how well the QA process went in during the agile pro well during the sprint or whatever the process or the time frame that you've chosen for your agile team. Um, so it's it can, but it can also be quite wonderful as well that you kind of collaborating and creating something that is really, really good for the customer at the end of the day. But also whose definitions of quality, you know, quality, does quality mean the experience or does it mean visual quality? So it's all dependent on what's the definition of quality to the team as well. Something that I'm thinking about is there's a lot of things at work here in terms of agile. There's things being handed off, there's uh, teams working, some sprints ahead, a couple of sprints behind. Uh, who is the ringmaster in all of this? How does leadership work within an agile sense? So there is, I, there's no tiered kind of thing when it comes to an agile team. So there are three roles in an agile team. You've got the product owner, which is someone who helps create the vision of the product. So you've got that, you've got then the Scrum Master. So the Scrum Master's role is that I like to call them a coach. So they're there making sure that the team is executing everything that they can and they're doing the best that they can to achieve the kind of the product vision or the product goals. And then you have the team, which is executing the actual solution. So there's no like who is the leader and who is not. This is purely a self-managing team. So they're self-organizing, self-managing, self kind of motivating to get the product done the, the scrum master is only there to help them unblock any impediments that they might have so if they're unable to go because someone else hasn't done their job then they can kind of go and say listen this person is waiting for you can you kind of carry on or perhaps there's a problem they also might want to facilitate some of the ceremonies or they go back to product and say they're unable to do this so essentially there's no someone that drives it it's the team that drives it um, funny thing when it comes to a scrum master is that in theory, a scrum master must work itself or work him or herself out of the job. So you, the team should in theory not need a scrum master if they're really good at self-managing and all of that kind of stuff. The scrum is just there to help facilitate the process and facilitate the execution of that, of whatever the product goal is in that particular sprint. So it's all about the team at the end of the day. So everyone is a leader and everyone must execute. So it's not, there's no one that's more important than the next. At the end of the day, it's all about the product and all about the customer. Okay, something I've been reading about recently is the UX maturity within organizations. I'm sure it's pretty similar in the agile sense. So a agile mature team would be a team that really doesn't need a scrum master uh, and is able to actually self-manage, as you say, and be able to just really uh, get the project going on their own. 
Um, how does a agile team grow in their maturity? So it's okay. So in one of the ceremonies and kind of an agile, that's very quite common as a retrospective. So in Scrum and, and Kanban, there's always kind of this kind of looking back thinking. So when you kind of get to a point where you need to look back, so either at the end of a sprint or every two weeks or once a month, you kind of have to start looking at yourself and saying, well, how did we do? And in our maturity, are we, do we need, is there any gaps that will help us to actually really achieve the next stage of maturity? So it's all about just making sure that they keep looking back, they keep iterating and they keep improving themselves and being quite open and honest about themselves, about where they're actually falling short and where they can actually improve. So the maturity works with how well they take feedback, how quickly they want to make the change and how well do they execute or try to fill those gaps so they can actually reach the next stage of the maturity and agile. But I mean, ultimately, especially if you've got a team that has many teams, you know, you'll have different maturities per team. So as a company, you could run as a culture, we're an agile company, but each team might run very, very differently in the way they run agile. So one may need a scrum master, one may need a scrum master. Or so one may not need a scrum master, one may need a scrum master. So it's all dependent on the team and it's all very much individualized and custom to the team. So that's why the agile is not a it'll fix everything problem. Like, you know, it's like a maturity is not necessarily that once we've got, everyone is executing, that means we're 100% agile, we're perfect, everything like that. Purpose of agile is that we're always consistently improving. So as long as you're doing that, you're getting more and more mature, but there's no end state to say that I'm now 100% mature. It's like now we're getting to the point where we're getting into a rhythm and we're delivering something fast and we're willing to keep trying new things. Funny enough. And it's also, it's like, I think a lot of people think that there's an end state when it comes to maturity. And there is this magical kind of finish line, but there is no finish line. And I think that's where people need to understand is that there's always room for improvement. There's always room to be better and there's always room to try new things. If you start seeing that you're at 100%, like you can predict everything, you're always at 100%, then there's no room to grow. There's no room to fail. There's no room to anything. So it's okay to be like we're not 100% mature, but what makes you guys mature is if you're okay to make changes to improve the next time around and you're always consistently improving. Something I've been thinking about recently is how uh, human-centered design is a process that teams adopt to ensure that a product meets the user's needs. So you go through these cycles to understand that you really are understanding your users and you know what you need to do to make sure that you solve their problems, okay? Agile, what you're saying here is a, is a methodology that companies can adopt, which makes sure that they are a bit more user-centered, but that the, the teams work together in a bit more of an iterative way. How do you see the UX human-centered design process playing with agile and how do they work with each other? Sure. So the funny thing about those two methods is that there's always a tension between the human-centered design approach and the agile approach. It's, it's a healthy tension. Um, but the thing is, what is interesting about the two methodologies is that I would say that they both agree that it's the focus is about the end user and constant iteration. So it's just two approaches that is kind of rather unique. But the fact is that they both have an end customer in mind. Um, whereas, you know, for example, the agile practitioner will always say that design and development should start at the same time. So it's always this constant cycle of 
design, development, QA, in this constant thing during whatever the time frame. So in a scrum space, in a sprint. Whereas human-centered design, they put a lot of focus of pre-work before development. So discovery, solution creation, everything like that, and then passing it to the developers to start executing. The only thing with that one is that it's now starting to sound very similar to the waterfall methodology. So even though that they can work ahead, there's no real magic wand or like I said, it's like they, you could, there's no exact science to seeing how will the two work really, really well because it's all dependent on the team that's working together. So there are many different ways of how the two could work together. So one, yes, you can have, if you really want to, you can work and have a design team that works a sprint ahead. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. And if your methodology or whatever your approach still involves the developer in your kind of discovery phase, then that's fine. Then you are doing exactly what you're doing. And then you're still part of the process are when they're executing. So you can be part of, be part of QA. You are checking how the development is happening. You can also be doing some customer feedback as while they're developing, you're trying to find, is your solution still kind of fit for purpose while they're developing or maybe need to pivot. Um, or you can try and see if you can try and put together a solution with the devs the day you start the sprint, you know? So there's no real magic one that'll kind of say, okay, that's the way to do it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's all about the individual, the person, the team member, and the outcome, and are they going to get to that outcome? I think the biggest practice when it comes to the human-centered design is that I think what we struggled, and I struggled for a long time, is time boxing your process. And, you know, you want to try and solve the best, perfect solution for the customer. And Agile is just saying, you know what, let's just get something to them. What is good enough? And sometimes good enough is enough. You know, we try to think that we need to try and be perfect, but perfect is almost an enemy of being good enough for the customer to actually find benefit to it. Because if you're perfect, you're going to take time. There's no room for growth. There's no room for iteration. Nothing's ever perfect. So, yeah, so I think the two methodologies are in sync that to me, it's the same different sides of the same coin. It's human centric approaches and trying to get the right solution to the customer as soon as possible. Okay. So there will likely be people listening to this episode from the agile religion, and there'll be people listening to this episode from the UX religion. And they both will be saying no, but the one needs to fit into our routine. It sounds like you've worked on both sides. Well, both sides of this coin you understand both. So you probably will have experienced some of the frustrations that both have had with the either methodology. Um, what are some of the biggest frustrations that Agile has with UX designers? And how can UX designers uh, improve so they can work better in, in, in an Agile context? I think the biggest frustrations, and from my experience, is I think this collaboration side. I think the reason why Agile teams have issues with UX designers is that they haven't thought about execution. So they may not have gotten the developments involved during the process, because again, if you're working on a solution for three months, you know, you're going through a discovery phase for three months, you're not going to involve the developers on every single stage of this kind of journey. You might involve them once or twice to maybe do a showcase. But I think the thing is, is that I think developers or the team that's executing want to feel involved in the process. So I think they feel very frustrated by the fact that they've got good ideas. They've got ways because they're the ones that are building this. So they have got knowledge that I think the, the designers may not have. Um, so if, they, if you, they're designing components and everything, it's like, sorry, you know, we can't do that component because one, we have to build that because it's custom. 
and it may take longer to build. And then it might think, oh gosh, okay, well, I should have actually thought of that and maybe I should have involved you more in the process. So from an agile side, it can be very frustrating from a build team. What's also frustrating as well from an agile is that designs in my, well, at least my experience, that the UX designer wants to try and create and solve every single solution. And agile is all about taking one step at a time. You know, there's always a saying is like, how do you eat an elephant? And that's one bite at a time, you know, whereas I think when you go through the discovery, you're trying to eat that whole elephant all at once. Um, and it's not saying that that's wrong. It's like, I'm, like, I'm not saying that, you know, going through this discovery phase three months ahead or anything like that, there's anything wrong. I'm still been, I'm still in the journeys where sometimes we are that, you know, I work on projects where we're three months ahead trying to come up with the best possible solution and then handing it off to the developers. It's just saying that how do you integrate a little bit more of the team that's building it into the process. So when they are kind of ready to build it, they feel part of the process. So I think the frustrations from an agile team is not being as involved and want to be a bit more collaborative and feel like they have a voice to the solution at the end of the day, uh, rather than just being the kind of the builders. You know, I think we're in a world where it's not about builders anymore. It's about people executing a solution, a pain point. So they want to feel like they were, they had a hand in putting together the solution. It's not just the UX designer and their interpretation of the pain point and the solution to the pain point. There's also other people that are contributing to the solution and it makes them feel a lot more passionate about building something. And, you know, and it's, it's kind of an interesting space because I think we were taught and I was taught very, very early on in my career is that you work very much in a waterfall and you want to try and solve every single solution. And we, we forget very quickly that it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to not have all the answers and it's okay to experiment, you know? And I think that's what Agile has taught me is that, you know, the frustrations that I even had, I mean, I thought Agile was a swear word six, seven years ago. Um, and to me now it's, kind of part of me because now I can't do a solution without collaboration anymore because I feel like, you know, me, myself, I don't have all the answers, but as a team we could. And to me, that is a really, really important thing for Agile. So I think it gets frustrated because you want to build this great solution and you spend time and designers spend a lot of time, effort, going for the research, going through all the data and all of that kind of stuff. And then when they throw it into the development space, the developers say, well, you're wrong. This is not right. All of that kind of stuff. It's like, well, yes, but customers say it is. We must do it this way. So it's just about making sure that the frustrations removed by collaborating more. And that's what is nice about having Agile um, is that you do more collaboration. There's a lot more cross-skilling as well. So you're able to understand how the developers work and the developers can also understand how you work. So they can also be involved in the process, be observers, maybe be part of the workshops and the, maybe the, some of the requirement workshops, get involved in design sprints if they want to. You know, so they feel part of the solution rather than just the executors. Okay, that's a, that's a very good answer. I think that's, a, I'm happy with wrapping up the conversation around Agile there. I think you've given us a lot of, you've summarized this topic well. Something I'd like to, to end off with is, uh, I've noticed that on Twitter recently, you've been posting some hand-drawn um, illustrations that you've been doing in, in Procreate. Uh, what makes a head of experience in digital product design, who's probably very busy and you've got a lot on your plate, what makes you start drawing? And uh, what's led to that? And how's that process been like? I've always, in my very core, I've always been an artist. So even when I was little, I was an art, I was an artist, an illustrator and everything like that. 
and it's just still kind of the core of who I am as a person. Um, so the thing is, is that when you are a product designer and everything like that, you can't always, there's no, there's not always, well, let me say that the creative outlet is not always fulfilling. So what is nice about having things, something like Procreate or having an outlet like that is it allows me to something that's in my mind because I've got a very, very busy mind onto paper so it doesn't almost distract me from my everyday life. So if I need to put together a solution, but hey, I want to draw Gandalf in the back of my mind, at least I've got something quick to do and like, okay, cool, I'm going to draw up Gandalf or Dumbledore or, you know, Indiana Jones or I'm going to draw doodles or whatever it is. It's out of my mind so I'm able to focus on the task at hand. So it just that helps me just to kind of get the whatever the, the voices inside of my head out and just be... I don't know, just it teaches me a little bit more about the creative industry and a little bit more about digital products. So just kind of, I don't know, it's just like, it just makes me happy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like it puts me in my happy place and it's, it's just, it makes me, you know, fill the days or it's like, it feels good when there's an outcome and it's a good outcome and I can post it. So it's, yeah, so it's just a really, really good creative outlet for me. Yeah, I think it's really cool that you've been posting them. I think you should keep posting them and I've been enjoying them. So keep it up, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely will. It's like, it's something I've really enjoyed. I do. I think I've done a few on Dribble. I love pixel art as well. So I tend to try to play around with pixel art. Um, so it's, no, have a look. Yeah, have a, have a little squiz at it. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's just, it's, I try different techniques because I'm trying to find my own voice as an artist. Um, so you kind of, an artist skill is copy. <laughs> so they're the best kind of copiers. So I'm trying to find a style that works with me, especially I'm used to painting and drawing on physical, so paper, pen, pencil, whatever, and you have that haptic feedback. So on a digital surface, it's much harder. <laughs> so it's, because even though there's a slight delay or anything, although I must say the Apple Pencil and the iPad has gone beyond kind of the way that they kind of, the technology of almost feeling like I'm actually designing and drawing and doodling on paper. It's insanely amazing. I'm so impressed. Um, so it doesn't take me too much out of the realms, but I am getting used to the kind of the layers. Unfortunately, I'm before the times when layers was important. So now it's teaching me a bit of layers and planes and kind of things. So it keeps me learning about how the newer generation of designers and illustrators are working. So it hopefully keeps me up on my toes or keeps me up to speed with all kind of all the different type of talent. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Justin, I really appreciate you coming on the show. You've added so much value. I think this is going to be a great resource for myself and many other designers to refer back to at a later stage. If people want to get in touch with you or send you questions or see some of your work, what would be the best way that people could do that? So um, we've got a uh, kind of a UX WhatsApp group. So we can kind of, they can get involved through that. So they can contact you if they want to, and then I'll more than happy to add them to that UX. It's called Keep UX Alive, which is a nice WhatsApp group for customer or for anyone who wants to learn more about UX or digital kind of transformation. They can get a hold of me on my Twitter, which is ux.coach, or they can go onto my Instagram, which is digital.boho. So they can kind of, and the digital.boho is not because even though UX coach is more geared around UX, digital boho is all about digital kind of transformation. So product owner, scrum master, agile, um, UI, UX, illustrations, all of that kind of stuff, everything in the digital space. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, Justin, have a really great evening and it's been great to have you. Thank you for being on the show. 
Oh, it's only a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for listening. If you learned something from this episode and would like to hear more episodes in the future, please subscribe and consider leaving a comment so that other people can find this content. If you have any questions and would like me to answer them on an upcoming episode, go into the show notes where you can find a link to my Twitter page where you can ask me any questions that you have or even leave a voice note using the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to keep the user right where they should be first.